0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9. Normally, I'm preaching through Leviticus. Today, as we consider our Lord's coming, we'll hear from God's word in Hebrews. In fact, you've heard much of this chapter before, if you've listened to the Leviticus sermons. The first part of chapter 9 looks back to the sacrifices and then talks about the Day of Atonement and tells in how glorious detail Jesus fulfills them all. And it says, without shedding of blood... There is no forgiveness of sins. So what does this say about Jesus and the way that you celebrate Christmas? Well, we're going to pick up at the end of the chapter, starting at verse 23, and see why this sacrifice matters as we celebrate Jesus' coming. Verse 23, right after it says, without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things, To be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are the copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all, at the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Please pray with me. Father, as we come now to your word, we confess that we have no other hope. We have no other authority but this rock upon which we stand. And so just as your, your prophets and apostles long ago spoke to your people, and we ask that through your spirit and through your word now, you would speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, is Jesus welcome? Is he welcome? Would he be welcome if he stepped into your own house? Not as the cute little baby, but as he is now. The scar-laden, glorified Son of Man coming to claim his throne. This passage shows why Jesus came. And his purpose should shape the way that we celebrate his birth. Now we can and we should celebrate him coming as a helpless baby into this world. But we also need to remember who Jesus is and what he accomplished. And so today I want you to remember that the baby is just the beginning. The baby is just the beginning and Christmas is the beginning and it's worth celebrating, but it's only the beginning. And so this morning to set up the passage, I first want us to think about the way our culture may view Christmas, because we are often influenced by the culture that rubs off around us. And then we're going to work through this passage and I'm going to ask you two ways If Jesus is welcome in your life. So let's look at the culture. Uh, What is the purpose of Christmas? And what does Christmas mean to you? That's what I will ask my soldiers when I get to stand up and do my last word or question of the day next Saturday. What does Christmas mean to you? How would you answer that? How would you answer that? Well, you probably say who Jesus is. He's the, he's the glory of the incarnation, that deep mystery that we confess, the, the story of the Son of God taking the human nature. He's the King of glory, becoming a man in a lowly place. And, well, what's his mission? He's God's Messiah to come give his life. I like how John Piper put it, quite succinctly, it's the, the dawning of the indestructible joy. I'll probably say to my soldiers something along the lines, it's dawn, it's the first stream of light after the full eclipse of the sun. And scripture is clear that from the beginning, the baby Jesus had a special purpose, but doesn't that get lost in, in much of today? There's a, a secular and commercial attempt to crowd Jesus out of the manger. I, you know, I don't really think we as Christians even today need to be concerned, at least for this sermon, what our government says about Jesus and nativity is a conversation for another time. But we should be more concerned about what our neighbors think and our friends think. That's where we have gospel influence. And if you ask, what does Jesus mean to you, you'll find that they'll say, well, for some people, it's a non-starter. Santa Claus takes center stage in much of the Christmas family, Or they strike Christmas, uh, Christ from Christmas because it's all about family. Others will say, I-, I have room for celebrating little baby Jesus, but forget his purpose or downplay his mission as God's Messiah. Now, why is that? A baby is an image that people can accept and even get excited about. Almost everyone loves babies. My kids have gotten past that age, but I remember when i take Sam around in, in the store, I was biased, but I think he was a cute little Gerber baby, and people would just light up and bring a smile to their face, especially when they don't have to take them home and care for them. People love babies. Who doesn't like babies? And the baby Jesus is the symbol of joy and inspiration and love. And... And you can talk to someone about Jesus, and they're on board with that kind of Jesus in the manger. But many want to keep him there and ignore the Messiah part. It's uncomfortable to talk about a baby who becomes a king who would grow up to die and save me from my sins. And so we stay with the baby Jesus, and I say that the baby is both the beginning and the end. There was one secular Christmas doctrine it might be the perpetual infancy of Jesus but baby Jesus does grow. Um, you can often tell how some in organization views Christmas by the way they sing Christmas carols, if they sing them at all anymore. And when I was growing up, I still remember going through the Walmarts and hearing them play. It's still sometimes, you'll have, even pentatonics will sing all holy night, or um, you'll, you'll hear a little bit of that. But I was surprised. I was, I was at the commissary at Fort Hamilton because I was on, on duty this week doing my chaplain training. And I was grabbing a few things before I went home. And I can't remember which one. But it was, it was a, a full-fledged Christmas carol singing the, the, the deity of Christ. Praise God. You still have a little bit of that, that cultural leftover baggage. But, but how do you do? What do you do with certain Christmas carols? When you can't get away with this. For instance, what child is this? Verse 2. It goes like this. Why lies he in such mean estate, where oxen, ass are feeding? Good Christians fear for sinners here, the silent word is pleading. Nails, spears shall pierce him through, the cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. Now. A couple of decades ago, in my previous church, we'd go caroling at a, at a local uh, rehabilitation home, Good Shepherds, and we just had these, these song books, and I don't know where we got them. It's clearly from a liberal denomination. And, and so you could just tell by you go through, for instance, they had could good Christian friends rejoice instead of good Christian men rejoice. So, you know, we're, we're, we're culturally sensitive. But when you came to verse 2, and what child is this? It was missing, just gone. Because you can't remake that verse. You can't do a little dub over and just change that, in, that, 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 that sticky part. know, they wanted to keep Jesus a baby, and they didn't want the cross on Christmas. And this might seem like a happy compromise for some. Why all this talk about sin and judgment and all that religious stuff that's so dark? It's Christmas time, just keep Jesus a baby. Much like the young woman that we'll, we'll listen to next week in Sunday school. We, we listened to a debate this week um, for and against homosexuality in the Oxford <coughs> Union. And, and she begins this debate and, and she's arguing that the Anglican church should bless homosexual marriages. Now, she's a young woman. She's very bright. She's well-meaning. She says, I rarely go to church. I'm not even sure I call myself a Christian. But church, you need to understand that society has moved on. And the church is going to be relevant. You need to be more loving and inclusive. And you're driving people away from Jesus by talking about this sin. And here they would just say in the same way. You're driving away people from Jesus by talking about sin. Just keep him a baby. But you see, that destroys all hope, doesn't it? The only reason for you to be joyful is if you actually benefit from Jesus coming as God's Messiah, his chosen deliverer. To save you from your sins. And if, if Jesus is just a normal baby and a normal de- man, then his rags to riches, the story ends with a pointless, gruesome ending. No, no, we need a savior. In Jesus' time, people clearly looked for help, for misery, relief. They were, they were living in extreme poverty. They were being oppressed by the Romans. King Herod cruelly killing infants. The people were waiting for God to show up and do something today. Now, we have a lot of pain today in our world. You think about the, de- the depression and the drug abuse and the d- domestic violence and abuse and, and the mass shootings and the fragmented government. But, but I think we as a society have, have hidden all of that because of our huge material blessings. Here's the fascinating thing. We never talk about these things. Instead, we, we deaden our pain with pursuing our career. We... We drown ourselves with the constant dose of uh, whether uh, Netflix or sports or social media, like a sick cancer patient refusing to acknowledge something is wrong, denying, repressing, ignoring until it's too late. Our culture seeks to hide the misery and the evil of our own hearts, to to ignore the longing for eternity. Baby Jesus who never grows up to be Messiah is just another way of doing that. Baby Jesus, who grows up, is no hope at all. Your only hope, my only hope, is a Messiah who completes his mission. And what is that? Let's look at our passage starting at verse 24. For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly. As the high priest entered the holy places, every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. Here we see Jesus at the end of the days, offering himself as a sacrifice in a holy place, not made with hands to deal with sin. Now, if you've been with me in Leviticus, this is very familiar language to you. In fact, a few weeks ago, there was a sermon on the Day of Atonement, Leviticus chapter 16. And you know how the Old Testament priests used to offer the sacrifices in the holy place once a year for the unintentional sin of the people. It was it was the high priest and the the author of uh, the Hebrews says that was then. But now at the end of ages, what does he mean at the end of the ages? It means that Jesus appearance is the beginning of something different. Hebrews chapter 1 talks about how in many times and in many ways God appeared, to our, spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. And so it's the completion of time that God has planned out. To make use of a word that can be overdone today, it's epic. It is truly epic. This is, this is the crowning completion of the Day of Atonement, and we've talked about how the Day of Atonement was the climax of the first part of the Old Testament. You can see how it was. Leviticus is the middle, both in in uh, in content and also the theme of the first five books. And the middle of Leviticus is the Day of Atonement. And the middle of the Day of Atonement was when the priest goes in and offers the blood. And at that point, where the high priest approaches the Lord and the holy of holies, and the blood of the goat is spilled on the mercy seat, the goat dies instead of the people who deserve, deserve to die. There's this. Tense, exciting time. Because God made it clear that the priest could only enter one time out of the year. And it must be a certain way or to die. You've heard how Nadab and Abihu died because they approached the Lord in the wrong way. And so when this priest, the high priest, enters the Holy of Holies, the people wait with collected, bated breath to wait for him to reappear. Will God accept our sacrifice this year? And the author of Hebrews says, that was then... That was a copy, but now Jesus stands before God's presence and he's completed all the work that the Old Testament pointed to. He's entered into this holy place not made by hands, not a holy place that that men made, but before God. This was not the, the physical tabernacle, but it was the presence of God himself where we are cleansed. And there Jesus offers himself as a sacrifice for sins. It says he took. Verse 28, he bore the sins of many. The author of Hebrews is referring to Jesus as the suffering servant here. Isaiah fifty-three twelve says this, prophesying of what God's servant will do. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul till death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for transgressors. Here Hebrews is clearly saying Jesus' mission is that of God's Messiah, his suffering servant. And here it is, beautiful but true, simple. The baby is to grow up to be the suffering servant who begins the last days by offering himself for God's people in his very presence. The baby is only the beginning. So question, is Jesus welcome in your life? Now, as I said, there are a lot of debates about keeping Christ in Christmas, and you can, you can have that social conversation. But the question always to ask is, is Jesus welcome in your hearts? And my soldiers sometimes assume that God just assumes that God forgives everyone. But this, says this, this forgiveness is not available to everyone. But for those who confess that Jesus is the king, Acknowledge their sin and, and, and their desire that they want to be the king. And, and you do that by putting your faith in Jesus. And then you lay your life down at his feet. You must do more than agree that Jesus is there or know about him. You must accept him as Lord. C.S. Lewis writes in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, the, the the quest of Prince Caspian and his band. And they're, they're sailing on the ship, the Dawn Treader. And their first stop from Narnia is is the Lone Islands, if I remember correctly. And the Lone, Lone Islands are under Narnian rule. But but for several generations now, there's been no contact. Um, the, the Narnian kings have not sent ambassadors. And the governors of the Lone Islands have not sent back their, their tribute uh, and and any communications or asking for directions. And so when Caspian arrives, he's actually mistook and was enslaved. But we find out that the the governor acknowledges Narnia's rule, very happy to acknowledge that as far as long as he is away from the control of the king. He doesn't have to submit to him or send any taxes back. But once he realizes who Caspian, he has to be rescued and the governor has to be dethroned so that the Lone Islands can be brought back under its rightful control to Narnia. That could be you and me as well. Oh, very happy talking about Jesus, listening to him, celebrating his birth, say, oh, yes, Jesus died for me. He's my Lord and Savior. Very happy living a life, though, apart from the Lord. It's not simply enough to talk or know about Jesus. As in the Christmas carol, what child is it? You have to own him. So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh, come peasant king, to own him. That means, in the old-fashioned language, to bow down to him, to submit to him. I ask the young people today. You know the Sunday school stories. You know the catechism. Some of you may know Reformed theology well. Have you owned Christ as Lord? Without this, Christmas is pointless. The joy is, is a sham. Verse 27 talks about it is appointed for man once to die, and after that comes judgment. You will die and stand before the Lord, the Holy God, and apart from his mercy, you will face a judgment where you receive what you deserve. Everlasting punishment in hell. That is sober. But that warning, if you heed it, will cut through all the careless trivialities of your life. Is Jesus welcome? It's the question you need to ask leads to incredible joy. Not only are sins forgiven, but now you have the best thing to wait for. The result is that we eagerly await him. Verses 27, 28, read 28 then. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. I love that second part. That the the end, the words jump off at me. Those who are eagerly waiting for Jesus, because Jesus came—it's Christmas, because of the cross and the resurrection, Easter, because of His ascension. Jesus is coming back as the rightful King of all. These last two verses once again look back to the Day of Atonement, and it gives you an idea of excitement and anticipation. One commentator points out the, the, the parallels. If, if you go back to the date of atonement and you sit yourself with the people, they're, they're breathlessly waiting to see if the high priest will come out and, and pronounce God's blessing to him. That is the way that we should wait too with bated breath for our Lord to come back. Jesus could return any moment. And if you understand his mission, then you'll be anxious for his return. Not as a little baby, but as the full-grown, conquering king. Listen to how Paul describes Jesus' return, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of an archangel and with the sound of a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And then Paul continues Therefore, encourage one another with these words. A proper understanding of Christmas should lead to excitement. I know the baby is just the beginning. When will he come? Now what should this excitement look like? Perhaps for us the best excitement is watching a close sports game. My my dear grandfather in the World War II generation probably understood this better when there were battles that were being fought and won that determined the fate of individuals and nations. But we're we're fairly far removed from that, though we do have some wars breaking out again. Um, But we talk the language of sports. I'll use the example one more time of the Army-Navy football game. And as is often the case, my unit scheduled my drill on that game this year. But as it's going on and we're doing our duties, we usually keep an eye on the score. And I remember one year when it when it was close, some guys were streaming it on their phone. Others were checking their scores, all anxiously asking, how are we doing? All of us wear U.S. Army and we all cheered when we heard of an early touchdown, which turned out to be the deciding score that Army won the game. See, so Army represented us. We were caught up in their progress. And so we were excited. We were anxious to hear the news. Now, our culture can turn sports into idolatry, but at its best, it shows you how God has created us to long and to cheer and to strive and to yearn. And as Christians, you should be excited for Jesus' return. Is he here yet? Jesus, we're living for your kingdom. We're, we're living in this world of dark disappointment. When will you come back and strike Satan's death blow? Well, that's one analogy. Um, now you can't live in a heightened state uh, of anticipation all the time. I, I know that as a soldier, when you're, when you're watching and guarding you, can't be hyper-vigilant all the time. So here's another way we should be thinking about Jesus. A, a-, a more say, a slow burn, a, a simple ache, a-, a longing for his return. Just an absence, realizing something is missing. The most important one. My kids can tell you a lot of what it's like to miss their daddy. been gone a lot the last three years. And it's funny, between a year of deployment and then 70 nights in the hospital, just plenty of days in my room convalescing, that it really doesn't get easier the more time you spend away. It's not like you get used to it. And in fact, it's been for for my kids, and, and Elizabeth and myself too, that the closer I've been getting to finishing my drill, the less we like it. You could say it's only two days, it's only a night away. And yet it's harder. My kids will come up to me and say, Daddy, you going to the army again? And if I say no, they say, Yay! They're excited. And I come back, I love you, Daddy. My kids miss their father. They long for his return. How much more should you for your Savior when he comes back? Be longing to see him. He's graciously present by his spirit through the word and prayer and sacrament and his body, but don't you long to see him face to face in all of his glory, all of his people? So here's the final question for you. Are you longing for Jesus and his return? That can be hard to answer. But let's do a little thought experiment would Jesus be welcome if he returned during your Christmas celebration? Now of course we know that if he actually did, we would be transfixed and transformed and we'd be caught up. Of course we would. But let me just ask an impossible question. It can't It's not a, it's an impossible hypothetical. What if you were about to have your Christmas celebration? The house is wrapped, or decorated, the gifts are wrapped, the food is steaming coming out of the oven, the family is here. If Jesus was about to return at that moment, in, his, in your present state of mind, would he be welcome? Or would he be tempted to say, you know, Lord, this is such a wonderful day. Could you, could you just wait to January 2nd? You know, Christmas and the traditions and trappings, which can be wonderful, it can be delightful. But they could put you in a funny position that you would rather celebrate Jesus as a baby than experience his presence as your Lord and King. And my encouragement to you this season is make sure that the way you celebrate reminds yourself that the baby is just the beginning. Jesus is coming back. Examine your heart and your habits. Does my Christmas celebration leave me long for Jesus? This is a great time to read the Christmas story and the passage of the Second Coming and, and meditate on that with, his, with your family or by yourself. It's a time where if you have kids, you can Teach them about the excitement that you should feel waiting for gifts. And that reminds us to our much greater excitement we have for waiting for Jesus. It's a time to sing the carols that yearns not only for Jesus' first coming, but his final coming. And as you examine your own heart today, and as you identify maybe ways that you still would like to keep Jesus as a baby, ask the Spirit to help the Christmas story make you yearn more and not less. For your king. The baby is only the beginning. Even so. Come, Lord Jesus. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you that we have a Savior who came for us in time, in space, who really and truly lived. And it speaks to us now in this particular time and culture. We ask that we would take all that we are as as we are planning and preparing to celebrate Jesus' birth in various ways with family and friends that Jesus would, whatever it looks like in our lives, that we would clearly own him as king. And that he would be honored. And as we move on to the new year, we would would look back with gratitude, unless he comes before. And so we pray this in his name. Amen.